Welcome to The Brainstorm, a podcast and video series from ARK Invest. Tune in every week as we react to the latest in innovation and reflect on how short-term news impacts our long-term views. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Investment Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. ARK and Public are unaffiliated entities and do not have a relationship with respect to either firm marketing or selling the products or services of the other. And therefore, ARK disclaims responsibility for any loss that may be incurred by public's clients or customers. The information provided in this show is for informational purposes only and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision and is subject to change without notice. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK and investors should determine for themselves whether a particular investment management service is suitable for their investment needs. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC and or show guests and are not endorsements by ARC of any company or security or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in the show may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. ARC assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking information. ARC and its clients, as well as its related persons, may, but do not necessarily, have financial interests in securities or issuers that are discussed. Certain information was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information obtained from any third party. Welcome to episode 32 of The Brainstorm. Today, we're talking Bitcoin, some Bitcoin myths. Mr. Beast just posted how much he made from his first video on X, so maybe we'll touch on that. Vision Pro, we touched on it last week, but now we see some initial sales numbers, so we'll go there. You've seen, I think, what kicked it off initially was uh, Jamie Dimon poo-pooing uh, Bitcoin. What, what was your What was your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, no. First of all, good to be here because uh, I remember last time we had this conversation. What were we episode four or five? It's yeah, I think it was very early on in yeah. the. Uh, the brainstorm journey that you guys are making making waves around the world so it's an <laughs> it's honor all to be. thanks to our eight thousand followers and 12 people who tweet or comment and normally one of them's pretty mean but we love you anyway people <laughs> <laughs> going you, you exactly. always get a mean comment um but I, I this was in response largely to this etf approval which i think has signaled broad institutional acceptance the institution are finally here and in many ways the etf approval is symbolic of that i think a lot of people were on the sidelines had an excuse to not really uh, acknowledge or un- try to understand bitcoin as a legitimate asset class in a traditional portfolio uh with an etf wrapper there's no longer that excuse to um you know just miss dismiss it without without an informed dismissal. And yet what's been really interesting is that some of the bigger players in the space um, are in the traditional financial world are still not not just highly skeptical, but highly misinformed of, of Bitcoin. We published a, a piece back in, I think, 2020 in response to Goldman Sachs stance. That was around four years ago on just Bitcoin being a highly speculative asset. Uh, and four years later, with an ETF approval, you know, the returns that Bitcoin has 
benefited from in the last four years. Uh, and we still get the Jamie Diamonds of the world that uh, are, are highly misinformed. Uh, we have Vanguard as well that uh, decided to basically ban any ability to buy the ETFs because Bitcoin is just not within their investment mandate as a volatile and uninvestable asset. And then we had UBS as well uh, that claimed Bitcoin had no real world applications. So wanted to kind of resurface some of these misconceptions in light of uh, the uh, the misinformed takes that the Jamie Diamonds of the world ha ha are, are having. Um, does it and, wait? You uh, seen? Does it matter? Here's here's a question. Does it actually matter? It's like he's saying this, but if you look at their actions, it's like they're all getting pulled along anyway, right? It's like yeah. I mean, I think it, it doesn't matter insofar as that goes goes to show the power of Bitcoin. It's like Bitcoin will succeed with or without a single individual's support or understanding or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So the grand scheme of things for Bitcoin, this this matters you know, this, this does not matter at all. Mm -hmm. And the spirit of trying to accelerate adoption through education and having a lot of, let's say, you know, institutions, advisors, investors look to a Jamie Dimon as this, you know, credible source for talking about the financial world and investing in assets. You know, I, I think at, at the margin in the short term, it might, it might matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just low-hanging fruit for us because we've been talking about this for so long uh, and just yeah. going, you know, it's, it's kind of an, e an easy win for us to <laughs> debunk some of these these misconceptions. So let's, let's, let's debunk some of them here today because, you know, for as long as I've known you, Sam's known you, and, and long before that, you've been defending Bitcoin, the thesis around Bitcoin. You put it in this nice thread on X. What's the one that really gets under your skin the most. And that we'll, we'll get to the others, but the one that really just keeps you up at night where you well, can't believe grinds people your still think this. Yeah, that, that they still think this about, about Bitcoin. I, I, I'm just going to go with the Jamie's claim on Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin, who's this anonymous creator, the unknown, is going to one day come out of the shadow and make all the Bitcoin disappear because he controls Bitcoin. That would... That one, I think, is uh, the one that grinds my gears the most. Uh, and I think part of that is it, it really points to a fundamental misunderstanding of what Bitcoin is at its core. And it's it's software and it's open source software uh, supported by this you know decentralized network of computer nodes that are all, um, you know, validating and formalizing the rules of the network to make it to completely eliminate any sort of human as a final arbiter of truth or any centralized intermediary as a final arbiter of truth. So to claim something like Satoshi Nakamoto controls Bitcoin is to fundamentally misunderstand Bitcoin's primary value proposition as a decentralized software that facilitates the storage and transfer of value across space and time. That is what Bitcoin is. You eliminate the trusted third party. That trusted third party can come in the form of an entity, an individual, a founder like Satoshi, and you replace that, replace that with this marketplace of competing nodes that have a high economic incentive to work uh, to support the network and not to attack it. Um, so we kind of posted uh, a high-level framework of what Bitcoin's governance model is, this different stakeholders involved where no individual stakeholder, whether that's a miner, a node, a developer, or the end user, 
has full discretion over the direction of the protocol and they all sort of work together in the spirit of being aligned that Bitcoin as the asset, it's 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 the primary signaling mechanism as to whether or not this is going to work. You see, uh, in this in this yeah. image, just quickly, yeah. can sure. you explain? I know, I mean, it would be good for everyone. Users, right? That's easy to understand. Core sure. developers, right? They're the people writing the software. Yep. Miners, people running the computers, essentially securing yep. the network. What is what is an economic node? Sure. So a node in traditional, it's Bitcoin is peer-to-peer software. So if you know like how BitTorrent works or just broader peer-to-peer networks that are open source, you have individual nodes that anyone can effectively become, right? I can basically be a node. I can either buy a node, I can download a, a client. So like uh, if you're interested in being a node or running a node yourself, you can go to like a Casa Hodl, buy a node, spin it up, and now you are an effective participant in the network. There are thousands of nodes distributed across the world that effectively um, uh, have a formalized set of rules that are baked into the Bitcoin protocol. So, for instance, something like the 21 million supply cap is a really good example of that, where it is baked in the protocol that 21 million Bitcoin every four years, you're going to get that uh, uh, issuance get, get cut in half. That is a rule of the network that is baked in code. What a node does is it basically verifies whether those rules are be, are, are compliant. Uh, and so when every, so you can, in theory, in a new block, issue a change in the rules of the network. Let's say, I, you know, I'm a malicious actor. And instead of 21 million, I'm going to be 21.5 million. Okay. And I'm going to go and I'm going to propagate it to the network. And I'm going to hope that all the nodes don't catch, don't catch this little change, right? And so what the nodes do is they go through and they're basically verifying whether or not all the rules are um, are following or the, they're abiding. And if there's a block that is not the right rule, then they're going to reject that. They're going to propagate to everyone else that they've rejected it and they're going to flag the reason for that rejection. I am not accepting this block because it says that there's 21.5 million Bitcoin, not 21 million Bitcoin. And so you have this, again, just distributed social consensus of the rules of Bitcoin all of these nodes have a special interest to follow those rules because they want Bitcoin to succeed and Bitcoin succeeds if there's predictability in its rules. Um, and so that that's kind of where, where nodes come into play is they basically uh, give Bitcoin its, its integrity and they allow um, Bitcoin's integrity to be maintained throughout sort of the, the process. And it's an important point because you don't have that centralized intermediary that's making the rules. There's no sort of top-down um, uh, infra- infrastructure to, you know, determine what, what happens. Everything is bottom up and nodes are representative of that. So you, you, okay. You've officially debunked Jamie here. I think, which one, uh, which, what, one you, which one do you think, which one grinds your gears the most? You said we, we've been speaking about this for years. I think you don't, you think, uh, you guys are bullish Bitcoin. I'd imagine. Well, well, the, yeah. I'll, the, po- I'll point to yeah, one that go, I think you you first, both, you've both done work on, which is yeah. on the electricity and the consumption of Bitcoin from a, you know, power standpoint. And I would love to hear both of your thoughts because I think you've both done excellent work on this, this kind of myth and and i'd like to hear that so that's the one sure. I, I can start from a philosophical standpoint of like kind of the case for why bitcoin mining or bitcoin requires energy and then sam you you on maybe the renewables front and the energy mix 
I, you were sure. going to say something before that. Or yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say, let's clearly articulate the myth that that we're we're busting currently. So okay, it's like, so this one is in your in your tweet thread. It's it's Bitcoin wastes too much electricity. Boom. Right. So there, there, there's this there's a just this common you know controversy around Bitcoin of why is it consuming so much electricity? Uh, did I lose access? Nice. I gotcha. Okay. Good. Now you're here. Um, it, it's it's just this again this weird digital asset that requires so much electricity all for nothing. This is all kind of a, a waste um, and a, kind of a net negative to broader um, you know carbon footprint and just talking about broader waste and, and applications. So I'll, I'll start with why Bitcoin actually consumes electricity and how it's it's an essential design feature. When, when going back to the fundamental value proposition uh, for Bitcoin, it is one that effectively eliminates the need for a centralized third party to um, both sort of create an ecosystem that allows for permissionless access to transfer and store value, but then also creates this really sort of predictable monetary policy and creates digital scarcity um, in, in a way that's never before seen. Uh, and so... Bitcoin's energy consumption, you can almost think of it as trying to replicate the idea of mining gold, for example. If with the snap of a finger, I could mine as much gold as possible and would not require any real world resources to mine gold, gold would not be nearly as valuable as a monetary store of value as it is today. A big reason why gold is this universal store of value is because there is a proof of work or a costliness to produce gold that uh, suggests uh, that there is work being done and dollars being put into the ecosystem for this asset that is relatively scarce, not strictly scarce, but relatively scarce. It's about a 1% inflation in gold. If it was very easy to mine gold, then there would be an abundance in it, of gold and, 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 and it no longer... Uh, you know, is suitable as a store value. The same applies to Bitcoin, right? You're able, you're, you're basically incorporating this, you know, computationally intensive task that is explicitly costly to uh, generate a, a scarcity and a value to Bitcoin that makes it, that effectively makes it costly to produce. And, and so that, that's a really, I think, important component that very few people, I'd say, fully kind of appreciate where it is an essential feature to unlock not just the scarcity, but the automation and the decentralization that Bitcoin offers. Uh, and, then, and then the question becomes, you know, more from a philosophical standpoint of we're not denying that Bitcoin produce, uh, consumes electricity or energy. Uh, the question is, why is it? Why are they doing that? And why is Bit, what does Bitcoin stand for? And I would make the argument that as this sort of decentralized, global, secure, transparent money, the first of its kind that's digitally native, the energy consumption in whatever form that that takes in should be weighed against that very reality, right? If if you can make the argument of Bitcoin's energy usage, it can't be wasteful if it is providing a global financial network for anyone to access. 
an analogy that they give is you can like do a washer and dryer, the amount of electricity consumption that like washers consume. Right. Have you heard of hang dry? <laughs> exactly. Why don't we just dry? Like, why don't we just hang dry? There's the sun. There's no need for it. If we were, if we were to just basically say there's no, there, you know, washers are, are consuming way too much electricity, but no, they're actually providing utility and increasing productivity uh, and, and as a result, increasing prosperity. Uh, and so I think the same sort of can apply to Bitcoin. The problem is Bitcoin's energy costs are so explicit, whereas, you know, the traditional financial system, washers and dryers, they're a lot more hidden. So it's very easy to point that finger. And so and that doesn't even address the fact that Bitcoin's energy mix is actually renewable based. And that's the broader incentive structure that Bitcoin provides where, you know, miners have an incentive to seek the cheapest possible electricity that's often in stranded and remote areas. And that's where, you know, Sam's work on, on dimensioning that it really shows that even if you were, you weren't to subscribe to sort of the Bitcoin philosophy and the reason for Bitcoin's existence, if you were to break down the energy mix, it looks a lot greener than what many might believe. Right. And it should accelerate right. the move to renewable because renewables will be the lowest form cost of electricity. And you see, maybe we'll flash up this meme, but I feel like this, this encapsulates it pretty well, right? It's like this dichotomy of haters, uh, right? Haters hate indiscriminately. You don't need to close the circle on logic. Right. So claiming that it's backed by nothing and that it uses too much electricity is right. It can't be both. That's right. I've, and I think kind of highlights the low hanging fruit nature of trying to debunk Jamie Dimon's comments where they're, they're so glaringly misinformed that I think this is an opportunity for us to just continue to, to educate because Things can get lost in translation. If I had no exposure to Bitcoin and I hear the CEO of JP Morgan saying Satoshi Nakamoto is going to take all my Bitcoin, I'm, I'm going to you know, not do any more work beyond that because look who said it. Right. So maybe we'll, we'll round out with this last claim, um, which is you know, exactly what I said. The Bitcoin is backed by nothing. And maybe you can walk us through what is Bitcoin hash rate? What does that represent? Um, Sure. And, you know, you can see on this chart, this is a classic up and to the right chart. Um, but why is it why is it meaningful? Sure. I, I, I can clarify what I, exactly I mean by backed. Uh, there, there is like a the contention on technically, if you were to define something like, um, you know, a, a stable coin, right, uh, which is a stable coin is technically backed by something where it's backed mm -hmm. by USD and it's redeemable. In theory, Bitcoin isn't backed by anything. Bitcoin, the asset, is an asset that is standalone, but it is highly protected and, and runs on a fortress of, call it proof of work, uh, or the largest computer computing network in the world in the form of distributed hash rate. Um, hash rate being uh, a proxy for security in that uh, it is basically the amount of computational resources dedicated to mining Bitcoin. Uh, and the, the more hash rate there is on the network, uh, assuming you know, there, there, there aren't any efficiency improvements in hardware, the harder it is to attack the network. And so in that regard, when, it's, when people make the claim Bitcoin is just backed by nothing and that it's just out of thin air it was created, uh, this, this is an important counter to that.
I know Bitcoin is backed by the largest computer network in the world, orders of magnitude larger than, you know, any, you know, data center that you might see in one of the fangs or a supercomputer. Um, yeah. Can you give us a, what's a, the right analogy? I know in the tweet thread, you gave some, uh, some bold claims, right? 500 exa hashes a second. That's, I, you know, I don't even know how to think about that. So what's, what's the right way to, sure. so to it's, think about it's it? Not, it's not an, an exact apples to apples comparison. Uh, because the the nature of the operations, like Bitcoin's uh, hardware, is uh, dedicated exclusively to like this one task. Uh, but you can make the an, an analogy on like you know there are estimates on let's say Google's uh, data center being I think like around 100 petaflops, for example. Uh, this this would be one ten thousandth of the size of 500 exahashes, which is basically 510 to the 18 computations per second. Uh, so on a sheer raw operations per second basis, it is, you know, tens of uh, uh, hundreds of times larger than, you know, individual uh, data centers uh, that are, uh, again, com computing things that are more general than just a, a, a hash per second, a SHA-256 hash for, for Bitcoin's algorithm, uh, but is still, you know, I'd say good perspective on how much uh, how, how many resources are being dedicated to supporting this network? Uh, maybe perhaps a better proxy is, you know, just broader minor revenue, right? Like cumulative minor revenue in the last 10 years has surpassed $60 billion. Um, so to say that Bitcoin is called backed by nothing, well, you have billions of dollars of spend to exclusively focus to mining this, this one asset in which the hardware that is being invested, it cannot be used for anything else. It is a one-dimensional use case. And so a lot of people say like, you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. I think miners and the overall sort of distributed com computational resources dedicated to mining Bitcoin is the testament to putting your money where your mouth is. Are there any claims out there? This will be our last thing. Any any Bitcoin claims out there where you, where you're like, oh, this one is somewhat valid? It's like quantum you know, computing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think quantum computing. I think um, I, I I I think broadly there there is the over institutionalization. I think is a really good one too, um, where you know I think there's a, a trade off between having all of these assets migrate towards, let's say, centralized counterparties uh, to em embrace and, and, and catalyze adoption. But that comes at the potential cost of maintaining that ethos of decentralization, where if we get a world where most of the activity is facilitated through a BlackRock or even a Coinbase, you know, that I, I think becomes an existential risk to Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, and something that just needs to be, I'd say, thought through. I think that's probably the, some of the more legitimate FUD. So, so what? What? How do you think about that with these ETFs that are out there? Right, those are clearly right. You I have think, the big, yeah. the big BlackRock Fidelity as right. the anchors, Coinbase as the large. The way that so I see the, it is, is, yeah. is, is as a complement to existing modes of of custody and gaining exposure. Um, I say compliment because I, I don't want it to be a, a substitute. And I think that's where, um, you know, there, there is that risk and that fine line between, um, you know, pushing for the pr adoption of a Bitcoin ETF, 
but also recognizing that we want to maintain the ethos of self-custody and full ownership of assets of which an ETF quite, quite frankly, doesn't, doesn't really offer. Um, that being said, you look at the market that it's serving for institutional investors, for advisors, and this is, you know, the, the only mechanism by which they can gain legitimate exposure. And I think over time, you know, this becomes uh, a foot in the door or stepping stone to creating, you know, more unique uh, 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 methods of, of custodying that, uh, that are fully integrated in sort of the traditional financial world. I think what like, the, you know, Block is doing, even what Coinbase is doing on creating their own, you know, self-custody wallets, creating two or three multi-sig for the retail investor is really, really helpful. Um, so the way that I kind of see it is there's going to be mixed exposure. Um, you're going to have, you know, a set of investors that might exclusively do ETF because they want to, you know, on board uh, with through their traditional brokerage services. You might have another set uh, that will do exclusively self-custody because they're either living internationally or they want to use it for its inherent, you know, bare, bare instrument uh, prop, uh, characteristics. And then you'll have somewhere in between. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think we land somewhere in between, but just something that we, we should be sort of thinking about uh, in light of all this excitement. Amazing. Nick, now to you, some somewhat real-time reaction as we're recording this. Mr. Ooh. Beast said, you know, I'm not going to, why would I put a video on X? I get paid way more on YouTube. Musk says, why don't you just try it out? He posted uh, a video. Now he's posted how much money he made. How much money did he make? What does that mean to you? Um, and of course, in, in Mr. Beast style, he's giving away all the money that he made. So you know, yeah. get on X. Yeah, maybe, no, no, I'll, I'll, some free money. <laughs> sure. Um, so he posted, this is 33 minutes ago as of this recording time, which is on Monday, but he posted that he had made over $250,000 on his $1 car versus a hundred million dollar car video that he posted directly to X. That's the first of its kind, as you mentioned, Sam, that video had 156 million impressions um, I think rightfully so, Mr. Beast does caveat and says, but it is a bit of a facade. Advertisers saw the attention it was getting and bought ads on my video, I think, and thus my revenue per video is probably higher than what you'd experience. So I think there are some nuances to understanding, you know, how does this then translate over to just an everyday creator who's, you know, not the most famous YouTuber in the world. And then also just understanding how this monetization can ebb and flow, depending on where advertisers are in kind of the monetization um, stack. And that's something I don't know that I've seen, and I don't know how transparent the monetization actually is on X. I think one thing also to understand is when you see the video on X, what X did was just uh, replace impressions with the word view. And so I don't know what actually counts as a view here versus an impression, because an impression could just be it ends up on your timeline and you scroll right past it and you actually watched it for next to no seconds. Or it could be that when they reconfigured it to say view, they changed what counts. I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, there's mm -hmm. there's no there's no. Uh, 
there's nothing out there that tells you what actually counts as a view, whereas it's pretty well understood on other platforms what is considered a view. And so, you know, it's still early days. And I think my first impressions here are, you know, X, I think, needs to move into video. I, you've both been on the other end of my spiels around, I think, text as an entertainment is dead um, for the foreseeable future, just given how prolific video and short form video creation is. Um, if you can create videos at a speed or at a faster clip, it just means that more people are going to watch videos because they're just inherently more entertaining. And so if it gets to a point in time where it's as easy to create a TikTok as it is to tweet something out, why would you be tweeting instead of creating video? It's going to get more reach. It's just inherently more entertaining, right? We don't all go home put on the you know big screen in our living rooms, just a book, right? You watch television on it. So there's, uh, you know, just, I think, you know, understanding where this platform is headed, I think is, is actually headed in the, in the right direction, given how focused they are on making video happen. So I think that's, well, that's a good sign. I wanted, that's what I was going to ask. Is this a good sign? Are you encouraged by this evolution? I say that. I'm going to bring it back because we had a conversation, the three of us. I remember when X or at the time Twitter went private and I was like, this is going to be good as in relative to, uh, you know, the whole free speech monetization. And I asked, I asked you, what, what is it going to take to change your mind? And you said, when Mr. Beast, have Mr. Beast post a video and then we'll talk. Is that right. is that kind of what you're seeing here? Is that the, the yeah the, yeah the right and okay. and I think in the context of that conversation was you know my point of view around social media and where it's headed right I think it's inherently video native I think what you've seen even on Instagram right is a reel is coming up every other post now right TikTok is one of the largest if not the largest social media platforms globally and it's all short form video. And so I was, you know, concerned at the time that if the new management team under Elon is not as focused on video, they may lose the narrative. I think there's still, you know, plenty of opportunity to do what he wants to do in turning it into an everything app. But for the everything app to have an everyday use case, video from a social standpoint is that use case, right? Having news flow through video on the platform is extremely important long-term. If you look at the studies just on Gen Z, most of them are actually getting, and this may terrify some people, they're getting their daily news from TikTok, right? They're getting it from Snapchat. They're getting it from Instagram, and it's through short-form video. So understanding that importance of where you know the content has shifted and the medium has shifted is, I think, important to the long-term story here. So I am very happy to see you know, the management team waking up and understanding this. And I think they have, but it's you know you have to do this in the way that they've done it, which is go out and get the best creators and bring that content to the platform. And then, can you, uh, another, oh, you go, you go. You just see. another, I'd say like overhang that I'd love your thoughts on how they've evolved was the whole uncompromising free speech ethos that X has tried to instill and how that I'd say dissuaded advertisers. Have you seen a shift there? Is that an encouraging shift or do you still think that uh, they're eventually going to have to succumb to the pressure? Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the way that they're approaching it. One, I think community notes is an interesting way of going about kind of third party sourcing fact checking. 
Um, I think the, the overall idea around verification, I think will become increasingly important as you have this influx of AI created content. And I think the bot problem is not just specific to Twitter. It's prolific on every social platform and it probably will only get worse as you have AI drop the cost of content creation to basically zero. And you can have someone, you know, a malicious actor acting in a warehouse, God knows where running a million different accounts. And it's trying to change the narrative of a, a very important conversation. And so I do think verification has a time and a place. Um, but I think you have to provide value if you're going to charge money. And again, that all takes time, right? I think what he set out to do is, is very much, and you know, Sam, feel free to correct me, but it's an Elon fashion, right? He has this end goal and he puts in certain things that may not make sense today to everyone, but longer term fit into that end goal. And so I think you saw bits and pieces of that and you saw people get very riled up, but long-term, if you look at what he's pointing towards, I think everything begins to make a bit more sense. Once you put the pieces of the puzzle together, it begins to make a bit more sense. All right. And then maybe we just round out last week, a lot of negativity going around on the Vision Pro. Some early sales numbers came out. Um, were they better than expected? The expectations I originally saw were around uh, 80,000 uh, orders. Uh, what we saw come in over the weekend is around 160 to 180. Um, that is, I think, better than most had expected. But given Apple's, you know, 1 billion plus install base, I think it still can be deemed a niche product, especially for a new product like Apple. You know, you look at the Apple Watch, iPad, iPhone, you know, those initial order volumes over the course of the preceding days were in the millions. Um, obviously, this comes at a much higher price point and is in and of itself in a category that's still very nascent. Um, so, you know, 160, 180,000 orders. If you look at the price point, you know, that's probably the single best day or weekend VR has ever had because it's selling for 3,500 to $4,000. Um, so you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue on just the hardware side. And then obviously you can continue to monetize on the back end with software. The issue here, and this is, I think, a, an interesting an adjacent news story attached to the Vision Pro is you have a number of uh, developers and platforms coming out and saying, we're not going to develop for the Vision Pro. And I think we talked about this last week and it was originally just Netflix. Now we're finding out and tie it all back. Uh, YouTube is not uh, developing for the Vision Pro and neither will Spotify. So you do have this lingering develop, developer anger in the system and it may be showing in you know how developers are willing to join in on the vision pro story so something to watch there you have it wow a lot of news going on you seen thank you for busting some myths out there maybe mr beast will retweet this video and we can see how many impressions we get <laughs> <laughs> impressions or views depending on that's right we're not monetized call. anyway so it doesn't matter right yeah thanks for having me all right nice little awkward pause at the end there but better than <laughs> on i'd say <laughs> all right that's our show everyone thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week <laughs>